and welcome to the HWP podcast for April 2023. I'm Tom Hamilton and today I'll be joined by three of our partners. Firstly, our managing partner, Will Hamilton, and he'll shortly be followed by Kane Barino and Michael Turner. Uh, we have seen a lot of volatility over the month of March. Uh, this month has seen banks and bank failures dominate the headlines, and this has dictated the movement in asset classes. So, Will, uh, what would you like to say about this? Thank you, Tom. And look, bailing out banks does create a troublesome moral hazard. But without these bailouts, equities would have been a lot lower and bonds would have rallied or, you know, um, more aggressively than we saw at the end of February, though, we went underweight Australian equities against strategic benchmarks, this call along with establishing a position in government bonds in December last year. And we also moved developed market equities to 65% hedged in October last year. All that served very well to protect our portfolios through this volatility. Later on in this podcast, you're going to hear more about government bonds, um, but the sale of Credit Suisse does need more discussion as it really did dominate monthly asset price valuations. It's not the sale of Credit Suisse to UBS with, that we need to discuss, but the implications of what has occurred in the case of bank stress around both CS and in the United States with the Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank. Because this is what, what we've seen is, it's, is there's been an old-fashioned bank run. So when you look back at the optimum, optimism that many had in January, uh, the Credit Suisse and regional, regional bank issues have seen that optimism evaporate We've had a really a re-rating of sentiment to bearish levels. Capital economics in London have put it this way, and to quote them, more problems may yet arise at other commercial banks in the US, but the industry there doesn't have a worryingly high uninsured deposit ratio or unrealized losses on held to maturity securities in excess of capital. And if more skeletons do emerge from the closet, this is more likely to be the case for banks that have been relatively lightly regulated because they pose less of a risk in the economy. Look, there is a central cause, and especially in the case of Credit Suisse, that is leverage. And the effect of this leverage is higher interest rate environment. So you combine this with liability management and, and reputation as the bank to take, a, a take on risks that other banks would not look at, that leads to questions over management and strategy as well as risk oversight. We've seen a lot of talk around central banks pausing on their path to high interest rates, with many forecasters stepping back, they've suggested we're soon to reach the peak in rates. Well, that's a, that's a positive for risk-based assets. And again, I want to just quote Capital Economics. They say, so long as things don't spiral out of control, the Fed might welcome some tightening of financial conditions, which has been struggling to achieve by interest rates. So what we're seeing is we're going into the second quarter cautiously. We do believe that pessimism is starting to take hold. We've previously said the 3200 level we previously saw in the S&P 500, it's probably gone. De it's definitely gone down as a low probability. And if you look on our insight, you'll see our probabilities there, and that's now down to a five percent chance. What we're pushing towards is that 30 percent probability. So you'll see that on the insight, the grey boxes, and um, that's where we're seeing a moderate decline in inflation leading to a 10% downside in equities in the short term and a bounce of that degree in the second half of this calendar year. I think one of the things is you'll see on that insight we've got six scenarios and that highlights the uncertainty and the need to remain flexible. Um, and, you know, and we're going to have to change course if necessary. 
we continue to remain cautious, and that centres around the combination of an inverted yield curve, US manufacturing PMIs below 50, tightening lending standards, so that's effectively in, its state, in itself a rate hike, rising unemployment levels, so we, we do acknowledge, though, from extremely low level, and what we've been discuss, discussing for many months now, downward revision of forward earnings. So as we close out the quarter, our tactical asset allocation against strategic benchmarks reflects this caution, and you can see that uh, again on our insight. Back to you, Tom. I'm now joined by Kane Barano, and we're going to discuss the equities and properties. So, Kane, uh, we'll start off with equities. It felt like uh, a quarter of two halves when it came to equities. So what happened in the markets, Kane, and how did we respond? Yeah, that's right, Tom. It, it really was a quarter of two halves. So markets were, well, they have been fixated on inflation since it became apparent it wasn't transitory in early 2022. And this remained the case um, at the start of the quarter with most equity markets rallying as core US inflation continued to print lower at an annualised rate of about 3% in December and January. China's reopening, that helped lift global growth momentum during the quarter and talk of a pivot by the US Fed gained momentum until strong US employment data and a lessening in the downshift in inflation changed the narrative and resulted in markets giving up most of their gains from earlier in the quarter to finish only a little bit higher by the end of March. Um, Interest rate expectations shifted dramatically during March following news of the Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse troubles with markets moving swiftly to price in only one more 25 basis point hike by the US Fed, and then three cuts this year and four more cuts uh, next year. There's a saying in markets, though, that the Fed tightens until something breaks, and markets have interpreted these bank failures as just that. These banking issues will dent confidence. They'll lead to tighter financial conditions. However, we think markets may have got a little ahead of themselves, and we're not calling for interest rate cuts in the US until 2024. So we maintained our underweight developed market equity and neutral emerging market equity position for the duration of calendar quarter one and moved our domestic equity market weighting from neutral to underweight at the end of February. The decision to fade the rally in our local market came about due to the relative 20% outperformance of Australian shares when compared with currency hedged global shares at the end of January. Our domestic equity market structure is overweight banks and resources and underweight technology, and this supported our market over the past year. However, we believe it will act as a headwind moving forward as, our, as Australia's strong economic resilient growth raises the risk of higher and stickier wages growth and inflation, which will lead to higher interest rates for longer and put pressure on housing and the banking sector later this year. Uh, well, thank you, Kane. So... On to the next topic of property. Property is super sensitive to interest rates. So how did listed property or rates perform during the quarter and what are we seeing in the unlisted market? Yeah, that's right, Tom. Um, Property or listed property, which is known as REITs, are one of the most interest rate sensitive parts of the market. So this led to um, quite substantial underperformance during 2022 when we saw the bulk of these interest rate rises. Um, as rising, the rising cost of debt used to purchase properties and the weaker outlook for rental growth reduces the cash flows available to investors. 
So the sector was mostly flat during calendar quarter one, 2023. It outperformed equities in January on the optimism that interest rates had peaked and then fell away towards the end of the quarter with banking fears leading to weaker growth assumptions and tighter credit conditions. Um, on that, we, we, we have been reducing direct commercial property exposure where liquidity is available as we expect weaker growth assumptions uh, to act as a headwind to the sector later this year. Capital economics, they highlight the high concentration of lending to the commercial properties market by smaller US banks as a risk to the broader property market as they believe smaller banks will be required to raise depositor depositor rates to retain funding in this higher interest rate environment, which will require these banks to raise lending rates to maintain profits and ultimately lead to tighter financial conditions. Great. Thank you for that, Kane. I'm now joined by Michael Turner, and Michael will be discussing the bonds and alternative assets. So, Michael, we'll start with bonds. Uh, We've seen continued volatility in bond markets. So what is driving this and how are we positioning portfolios? Yes, that's right. Australian and global government bonds were volatile for the quarter, with yields ending the quarter considerably lower than where they started. So that's reflected in an increase in the value of bond portfolios. This movement can be attributed partially to the stress we've seen in in the global banking sector just recently, and also the market confidence that inflation is starting to return to that 2.5% range. In December 2022, we added exposure to government bonds and we're pleased to see these positions start to show some early returns for investors. But most importantly, bonds are now providing that defensive ballast to the portfolio in times of market stress that's been typical of them in the past, but not the most recent past of ultra-low interest rates. Over the quarter, we also observed credit spreads widening in the wake of the stress in in the banking sector. We remain very cautious in credit markets with a preference for higher quality credit and with an underweight position to high yield credit. This caution is extended to private credit where we have a preference for senior secured or first mortgage loans with quality asset backing and low leverage or LVR. Now, Michael, we'll move to alternative assets. Can you discuss the outlook for alternative assets and where we are seeing opportunity for investors? The outlook is mixed. One of the big topics of debate in alternative assets has been the valuation of unlisted assets, and we've remained very cautious when investing in existing assets with valuation risk. We continue to believe that distressed opportunities could present themselves over the next 12 months. In in real estate, distressed credit, and even private equity. Over the last quarter, we've met with a number of private equity and venture capital secondaries fund managers, however, have not yet made an investment. We are beginning to consider opportunities in direct real estate where the manager is readying capital to be in a position to act quickly and tactically to deploy funds in a stressed market. Given the uncertain economic outlook and a significant increase in the cost of capital, we think there might be opportunities to purchase quality assets at attractive prices. To sum things up, we enter the second quarter of 2023 remaining very cautious. Underweight to Australian and global equity markets with the view that tighter financial conditions will lead to declining corporate earnings. 
We have, however, started to see some pessimism emerge, which reminds us that sentiment can shift quickly and we must remain flexible and pivot when necessary. We hope you've enjoyed our insight, and if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thank you. Thank you.